Good morning. Thanks, all three of you. Very nice. Glad you guys are here. Not traveling. Some of you are traveling. We're about half our congregation, and then half of the congregation is new. So I'm going to yell for an hour at you today. No, I'm just kidding. Calm down. See, you've got a lot of visitors. You can tell they're like, oh, no, you've got to be kidding me. You drug me to church. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, would you raise your hand? We'll get you a Bible. There's some people in the back. Keep your hand up. Be proud of it. Don't be proud of it, but keep the Bible if you need it. Um, I love as we come into this season of Advent, because it's truly a season of mystery. It's a season where we think about the God of creation coming down and taking on the form of humanity. And not just like showing up instantly as a full-grown man, but actually showing up in the world through this womb of Mary and coming into the world in weakness as a babe. When you think about that, that story, that mystery, that, that basically for the next four weeks our culture is going to be distracting you from, to shop and to buy and to purchase and to do all these other things. But it's really this call as a community to come back to the main thing and why it is that we even celebrate in the first place, and that's because God has dwelt among us. We've been going through the Gospel of John, and I love the way that the writer of John puts it. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Literally moved into our neighborhood. And the reason that He came, in verse 4 of chapter 1, it says, In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Today we're coming to a passage, a section of John's story, where Jesus specifically states what John states in chapter 1. Where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. According to John, when we come to this season of Advent, this mystery, it's so that, that in Him was life. In Jesus Christ is life. Not just life like, as you and I think of life. Eternal life. It had no beginning and no end. But also life that was untainted by death. Unaffected by sin. All of you are living a life right now that is finite. It, has, it is a beginning, it has an end. And a life that has been corrupted by sin in some fashion. Either sickness, death, illness, that kind of stuff, or things that you have done, or things that people have done to you. But when John speaks of Jesus having life, he speaks of an entirely different life than you and I relate to. He speaks of that eternal, uncorrupted life. And he says that life is the light of mankind. It is the thing that gives us hope. The thing that we long for. The thing that hopefully one day we'll enter into. That we'll taste. Because the life that we have right now isn't quite fully there. And he speaks of it in this metaphor of light as we come to this passage of the story today. It's, it's a key passage where as Jesus refers to Himself as the light of the world, it's an important metaphor because the guy that he's working with, that he's touching, that he's healing, is blind. And so read along with me in this story as we go through it. Chapter 9, verse 1. It says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. 
His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? If you picture uh, this, this individual is born with blindness, congenital, he, uh, he has to sit on a daily basis on the side of the road and beg for money. Can't work, can't really employ himself. There's, nobody, there's no educational system to try and help raise him up and, and uh, get him to be self-sustaining. So he's, he's marginalized, he's relegated to the sidelines of society where he sits and he begs for money. And as they travel down this road, the disciples look at him and they're thinking theologically. Well, that's an interesting question. It's kind of like the question, why do bad things happen to good people? It's just those theological, arbitrary questions that we want to wrestle with. Well, here's a guy that's blind. Yeah, Rabbi, who sinned? Did this dude sin or did his parents sin that he'd be blind from birth? Obviously, he'd been there a while. There was a story about him. The disciples knew who he was. They knew he was blind from birth. And they're just curious. Theologically. They don't really, I don't know that they have real compassion towards the dude or the individual. They're just like, yeah, that's an interesting question. Who sinned? Obviously, there was a prevalent understanding that sin was the result, or like sickness or illness would have been the result of sin. And obviously, in some cases, that is, the, that is true. But in this particular case, Jesus says, verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sin, but this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is his day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I have no idea what it would be like to be blind. I'm sure if you have sight that you, you've closed your eyes, you close your eyes or you're in some extremely dark you know, night or situation where you can't hardly see your hand in front of you, it's a trippy feeling. It's a feeling of lostness. Uh, it's a feeling of th- that you're just, you have no idea what's around you could be a feeling of danger. For this guy, he enters the world and never sees. Ever. And Jesus says this dilemma, this incredible problem and difficulty for this guy is actually an opportunity for me, the light of the world, to show up and radically reverse the circumstance. He speaks specifically and says, this has happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. Whenever I'm in a situation where we have something gnarly happen to us, um, I tend to be very opposite. I tend to think, well, God's bummed at me. God's judging me. God's left the building. God's punishing me. Whatever it is. When difficulty arises... I have this human response that's like, well, God doesn't care, otherwise why would this happen? In this situation, this story, we see that God very much cares about this dude, this individual. But I think about his his journey and our journey, and they're very similar. That we we have these situations, these circumstances, this sin in our life, this sin that's been done to us, whatever it is, that creates this dilemma, that creates this tragedy, that creates this difficulty. And to to those places, Jesus says, He speaks these prophetic words, I am the light of the world. 
That I am the place of hope in the midst of that darkness that you're wrestling through, that you're struggling with. And the question becomes, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is your hope? That in Him is life. The kind of life that your soul longs for. And the kind of life that you're not getting anywhere else. It's light. If you're in the midst of an extremely dark place, in the midst of the woods, a desert, a forest, whatever it is, you're pretty stoked to turn lights on, to have some, something illuminate that place. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And the question, do you believe that that, op- that dilemma, whether it's habitual sin or something you were born with or whatever, is an opportunity for God to display His work in you? An opportunity for, for Him to say, I'm going to show the world that I'm the light of the world. And I'm going to do it through this situation in your life, through this circumstance, through this sin. I'm going to do it. I want you to hope in me as the light of the world. Incredible statement that he makes to this, his disciples, but as well to us. Because we all sit here with some aspect of blindness, of darkness, of dilemma in our life that Jesus speaks that hope into. Verse 6, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seen. Jesus always does weird little things. Throughout John, last week he was drawn in the sand. We have no idea what he was writing. This week he's making mud out of his own spit. I think he did it just to tweak, just to throw a wrench, because everybody mimics things that work, you know? So you just picture people, hey, you got a problem? Just leave me alone. I'm not healed. (laughs) For weeks and weeks, hundreds of people are spitting in mud, rubbing on their ailments. But he does this, and uh, no one really knows why. But that's how he chooses to do it. And he sends them, sends them to this pool, this pool of Siloam, which means scent. And it's, it's not an accident that John uses that word. This means sent. Because throughout the Gospel of John, you're going to hear this used over and over and over. And that is God is sending people into the world to testify. John says the reason I'm writing this Gospel is so that you would believe. Uh, John speaks over and over that God sent His Son. God sent His Son. God sent His Son. And the flip side of that is that as God sent the Son and God sent the Spirit, and now God sends the people that He's impacting. God sends you and me. Matthew speaks of it where Jesus says to the people, you are the light of the world. That those of you who believe in me and follow me, you are the light of the world. So there's this sense that John's alluding to that this man who has been healed is now going to be sent. And you'll see as the story unfolds that His story creates this incredible chaos because it's a story that points to Jesus. And something that Jesus did that that people have to deal with. His life so lifts up the reality that Christ is real. That only God can heal people born blind. 
that, that causes a ruckus. It causes commotion. People are having to, to, to see what are they going to do with Christ. So it says in verse 8, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen Him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that He was. Others said, No, He looks like Him. But He Himself insisted, I am the man. Well, how were your eyes open? They demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and He put it on my eyes. Fortunately, He was blind. He didn't know Jesus spit at the time. He just thought it was mud. <laughs> he told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and I could see. Where is the man? They asked Him. I don't know. So as He comes back in, this radical encounter with Christ creates a total commotion. People are like, there's no way that could be Him. There had been such a definite transformation from being blind and being able to see that people are speaking about it all over the place. No, that's His twin. No, He looks like Him. No, there's no way. Well, how did you get healed? What did He do? What kind of medical technology did He use? Oh, He rubbed some mud on my eyes. Oh, that's interesting. And then where is He? I don't know where He is. And so Jesus just kind of touches down God shows up, lights up this guy's world, leaves, and the guy's just left telling his story. And people are freaking out about it. They don't know what to do with it. Do you have any area of your life that you could point to and say, God did that? I, in and of myself, could not have pulled this one off. God had to show up and meet me here and touch me here. And heal me here, or forgive me here, or whatever it is. And then do you let that be told? We're so good at privatizing our faith that when God shows up and does something really cool in our lives, we don't tell anybody. Which is kind of like this guy going, oh cool, I see, now I'm just going to go hide in the corner. And the purpose... Jesus says, is that I want to display the work of God in your life. I want the world to see where I have lit up your darkness. It's kind of like Steph makes these beautiful pieces of art every week, and every week we take them and we just hide it, we just shove them underneath the table and lay them on their face. Wouldn't that be neat? And she'd make this beautiful painting, we just stuff it under there, put it under the carpet or the rug. Just be like, oh yeah, she makes beautiful painting. You should see it sometime. It's underneath the table. <laughs> People on their knees crawling between your legs while you're trying to take communion. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> no, we display it. We stick it up here so that you can see the beauty that God's gifted her with, the creativity that she's gifted. Well, God's doing something way beyond paintings in your life. God's doing something way beyond the human in your darkness. Even if it's just forgiving you of your sin, that is, that's a God-like act to say, I'm going to cleanse you from your sin. I'm going to make you holy. Not you're going to make yourself holy. I'm making you holy by my blood. That's a God-like act. And he says, I want your lives to be on these easels. I want my work in your life to be displayed for my splendor and my glory. I want people to look at what he, what's going on in your life and, and say to themselves, what am I going to do with God? I have to think about this for a minute. Either this person's lying to me, or they weren't really struggling with addiction, or they really weren't struggling with that circumstance, or whatever. For some of you, God's not going to come in and heal it and fix it like that. 
He's going to give you grace to have joy in the midst of real difficult times. And people are going to have to say, where does that come from? And you're going to have to say, it comes from God. This isn't something I made up. I'm not a neat person. This is something God did in my life. But so many times we say, oh man, God did this cool thing in my life. I'm going to go stuff it underneath that table. I don't want anybody to know about it. I don't want to have to talk about it. I don't want to share about it. And it's kind of like saying, I want to take the beautiful work of God, but I don't want it to be displayed. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And I want you to reflect that. Verse 13, they bring the Pharisees to the man who had been blind. These religious leaders. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees said, they also asked how this man had received his sight. Jesus loves to drive the Pharisees nuts. He's got this just wild hair that he is always doing something that's going to take him off. Every time it seems like he's healing in John, he's healing on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was this day that was set aside, set apart to be holy. Uh, A day that God instituted to say, within the rhythm of your week, I want you to cease from producing. I want you to cease from striving. I want you to remember whose you are. That I created you and I made you and I love you and I want you to spend a day worshiping me, loving your family, loving your friends. Well, the whole idea of Sabbath came from the creation account. And according to John's Gospel, Jesus is the Creator. So Jesus creates for six days, and then He takes the seventh day off and says, this is Sabbath. It's holy. Then Moses comes along and they put in the law and say, every week I want you guys to do this. When Jesus shows up on the scene, these dudes are sitting there going, you're breaking the Sabbath. The Creator of the universe who made the Sabbath isn't abiding by His own by our rules that we've implicated on the Sabbath. Jesus just loves to do that because the irony, John wants you to see that the religious leaders are busting God for not following their rules. And that often is the time, that's often how we see Christ encountering them. But before we let ourselves off the hook and say, well, we're just nothing like those people. The reality is we're a lot like Pharisees from time to time. The reason we stuff God's work in our life under the table is because we want people to know that we ourselves are okay people. We don't need grace to save us. We're we're righteous. We could create our own righteousness. The reason that we don't say, man, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be alive. I wouldn't make it. I, I wouldn't know how to get through the day. is because I don't want you to think I'm a wuss or I'm weak or I'm a blow it. I want you to think I, I can make it through the day with or without God. And that's how the Pharisees thought. And I think that's how a lot of us in Christendom think a lot of times. Contrast the Pharisee to the blind man, and which one are you? And most of us kind of live like the Pharisees. We're not dancing around going, God has shown up in my life. We're cool, we're self righteous, we're collected, we got our education, we got it together, we got our jobs, we, we know we're fine. We don't need it. That's all the Pharisees are. Just self-made religious people. The blind man says, He put mud on my eyes. I washed and now I see. And some of the Pharisees 
said, this man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others asked, how can a sinner do miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that were open. And the blind man says, he's a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for a man's parents. I want picture what's going on. The work of God in this dude's life is displaying before all these people. It's on display. And now they're sitting there going, what, am, what are we going to do with this situation? Either A, we have to discredit this dude and say that you're a liar, you were never blind. Or we have to discredit Jesus and say, well, he's a sinful man, and so nothing that he did would be good, therefore this healing wouldn't be good. They have to deal with Jesus. But the issue is they have to deal with him. And once God does a work and it gets put on display, it causes people to think about God. To think about what they believe about Jesus Christ. And that's all Jesus wants. He wants His people to be sent out into the world to start that open conversation about who Jesus is. Jesus knows the commotion is going to go on. They bring His parents and they say, Is this your son? Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? Well, his parents say, we know he's our son, and, and we know he was born blind, but now how he can see, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. And the parents were scared, because in a real sense, these Pharisees are sort of the religious cops that'll bust you. And, and they could kick him out of the synagogue, they could excommunicate him. It says in verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. And that's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Now being put out of the synagogue isn't like us picking you up and kicking you out of church one Sunday. Being put out of the synagogue is to lose your rights as a Jewish person. To lose your rights in the society and in the community. It's to be excommunicated from your people and so they, they weren't even allowed to talk to you other than your in your immediate family, like your wife or your kids. So you get kicked out of the synagogue, it's a big deal. It has financial implications, it has social implications, it has all the emotional and psychological implications. So they're sitting there going, man, God has done something in my kid's life, but we don't want to get busted for it. All we can tell you is he was blind, he was born blind, he's definitely our kid. We have no idea how it happened. A second time they summon him and they say, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. I love the irony that John uses throughout his gospel. Here's a dude who is giving glory to God. God has healed him from blindness. God's work is on display and they're like, Give glory to God. And in their mind, the way you give glory to God is by shut up, renounce your faith, and quit causing a ruckus. But Jesus, Jesus just makes it messy. And in the midst of the mess is His glory. In the midst of all this confusion and chaos in these people. 25, he says, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He says, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? Now he's just getting cocky. 
Then they heard insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man, the blind man, steps up and has a theological sword that he kind of starts poking him with. He says, That's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, but he opened my eyes. And we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly men who does His will. And nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man weren't from God, he could do nothing. There's a sense that in his story, he says, you know, it's pretty obvious. I mean, you guys are got all your education and your big robes and all that stuff, and you look real smart, but it's just kind of interesting to me that We've never heard of anybody being healed of being born blind. We know that our God wouldn't answer the prayers of a sinful man. He heals my eyes, and you're saying, I don't have a clue where he came from. Just kind of posing a thought to the religious leaders. And they come back with a very nice response. <laughs> you were steeped in your sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Now they're acknowledging that he was blind from birth. They're saying, you were steeped in your sin at birth. And they cast him out of the synagogue. Wouldn't that suck? God shows up in your life, heals you, and you get kicked out of church for it? Kind of odd to me. Hey, I became a Christian today at church. Oh, get out of here. What's wrong with you? But there's that sense that displaying God's glory and when that light does shine in our darkness... And when we let it out, when we really talk boldly about it even, this guy was pretty bold. These guys have the power to take his life and basically excommunicate him from his people. And the question is, are, are we bold about saying, man, Jesus did something in my life? Or are we hiding it underneath this table? We don't want to display that work. Sometimes when God does a huge work in our lives, it doesn't mean that our life is going to be perfectly fun or happy. It means that in the midst of it, you're going to be having the real life, the abundant life, the meaningful life. But people may respond to you really not well. I remember when I led my mom to the Lord about three months after I became a Christian, she gave her life to Christ. And... Uh, I thought, man, that's going to be great. We're going to be like the all-American family now, you know, with a little red sweater at Christmas and singing hymns. and uh, Just, you know, here we're going to be like big happy family. But Dad wasn't real stoked on the whole spiritual enlightenment that we were sharing. And, um, and he left. So my mom becomes a believer, I become a believer, and Dad splits. So I'm not having anything to do with this. In the midst of it, you know, I'm, I'm, I thought our life was supposed to become this big happy bed of roses and it's not really going so well. They're losing the house and, you know, financially it's rough and emotionally it's rough. They've been married for 20 years. You're just like, what, what's up, God? And she had every opportunity to say, you know what, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm just going to renounce my faith and come back to, to this situation. And just, just say, whatever. Okay, I'm, I'm married, I'm happy, and I don't have to worry about Jesus. 
But what she couldn't renounce in her life was that I was blind, but now I see. That God had done something so radical in her heart and her soul that she wasn't willing to say, hey, forget about it. She had to cling to the one who had saved her, transformed her. But it didn't mean that her life was necessarily going to be easy because of that. I think it's an implication for us. That when you share your story, when you let that be told, when God displays His work and glory through your life, don't sit there expecting everyone to pat you on the back for it. Some people might get really bummed. But they're not getting bummed at you. They're getting bummed that they have to deal with Jesus. There's a big difference between displaying your own work and displaying the work of God. The beautiful thing about this story is that this obviously wasn't his own work. I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. There's nothing I could do to fix it, save it, and yet at the same time, here I am, and I see God showed up in my life and did this thing. And so what aspect of God's healing in your life are you putting on display? Are you talking about? Are you grateful for? Are you letting other people grapple with Jesus because of? Thirty-five, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out of the synagogue and he found him. Do you believe in the Son of Man? At this point, we know the blind guy hasn't even really trusted Christ. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen Him. And in fact, He is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And He worshipped Him. It's a beautiful picture. You think this guy has been blind from birth. And that when God touches him, he's seeing him face to face. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? In fact, you are seeing Him right now. And this guy responds by worshiping Him. When Jesus shows up in our life, when that light of the world lightens your darkness, the proper response is that you are a worshiper. And that your worship manifests itself in deep gratefulness. He had a very strong connection to what He had been healed from. His blindness was pretty fresh. His gratefulness was just overflowing to Jesus. He was so stoked to be able to say, you healed me. Your work is on display in my life and I am the benefactor of that. And he falls down and he worships. But I think for so many of us, that we don't come to worship with that attitude. We come to worship more like the Pharisees come to worship. To kind of show off our righteousness. To make sure everybody in the room knows I'm okay. I don't need any help. Don't need God. Don't need you. And and to kind of let myself be not too emotional. Not too expressive. I don't want anybody to think I'm weird. I don't want to cry during worship. And they know I have some problem in my life. I just want to be, yeah, that's good, man. You good? Yeah, I'm good. Cool, bro. All right, let's go. And we want to be okay. We want to be contained. 
And the reason that is, is because we disconnect ourselves from what we've been saved from. From what God has done in our life. From what that darkness felt like, tasted like, was like. And I think it's healthy in worship as we break this bread and we drink from this cup and we remember that He died on the cross, but we also remember what He's died for. And that's our sin. That's our brokenness. That's the healing He wants to do in our life. He's dying for those things. And that sense of us coming to worship and coming to this table with just that testimony, not all the answers, not all the theological stuff, but the the ability to say, you know what, I was blind, I was messed up, I was screwed up, I got screwed over by these people, whatever it is, but, but Christ's light lit up that darkness in my life. And the question before us that John's begging us to ask is are you going to worship like the blind man who's been healed? Or are you going to worship like the Pharisee who has it all together? And Jesus says, really, you're blind. The blind man sees and the people who see become blind. And you, are you willing to say, God, your work gets put on display in my life now? I'm going to let the canvas speak. It's not about me. It's about your work in my life. And I'm going to believe and hope and trust that you are the light of the world. That you have the kind of life that I long for. And I've been drinking from all these other places that aren't giving me life. Who this week can I talk to and share, Jesus, this is It's what Jesus has done in my life. It's what Jesus means to me. If it wasn't for Jesus doing this, there's no other explanation. And if you don't have anything in your life, that's a good opportunity to say, God, I'm going to give you some more room in my soul to do your thing. Let's pray. Light of the world, I praise you that you are fully God and fully man, that you are Jesus Christ, that you came into this world to save and love sinful people, of which we all are, God. Not just to forgive us, but to transform us and take us from death to life, from blindness to sight. Then in the midst of our dilemmas, God, you create opportunity for your story to be told. That in the work that you do in our hearts, you lift up yourself so that people have to deal with who you are. Father, I pray as a community that as you send us out of here, we would be people that let your work be put on display. We wouldn't be ashamed of it. Like the Pharisees, we wouldn't try to hide it and make ourselves righteous. But we would testify freely and boldly like this blind man that indeed it was all you. And now in this moment, God, I pray that we would worship like people who have been saved and know what we've been saved from. From sin and death and hell.
from a life that is finite and hopeless to a life that's eternal and full of hope. Because we've been loved by a God who came after us in pursuit of us. God, help us worship like blind men who have just received sight. Not like people who stand there self-contained, self-assured, self-righteous. God, you have no pleasure in that. But as we remember your body was broken and your blood was shed for us, God, we also remember why. For sin that we've committed, for sin that's been committed against us, and for the hope of a life that's perfect in heaven with you. So come, Holy Spirit, into this place now. Help us to worship you, Lord Jesus.